0: This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Freedom is a precious thing, is it not? And I think sometimes we, for us to appreciate something, we have to experience what it's like to be without it, Right? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest with me, okay? How many of you have ever been in custody, in prison, or in jail? Raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. Yeah, gasp. I went to jail. I did. Yes. I haven't always been this faithful follower of Jesus Christ that you might think that I am. But when I was 17 years old, I thought it was a good idea. I lived in Monroe, Connecticut, which is almost uh, about an hour away. And um, one of my friends thought it would be a good idea to take his 1973 Capri, which is a pretty fancy car back then, Mercury Capri, And do donuts on the middle school infield. Everybody know what a donut is? You know? So we're kind of having fun, you know, rounding the bases in our car, you know. And it's late at night. And we hear a siren. And then we hear two sirens. And then we hear three sirens. Now, Monroe, back then, this was 1983. It was maybe about 10,000 people. And I think there was four police cars. And do you know that all four police cars came down that long driveway of, middle, of Chuck Hill Middle School, and they surrounded us, and they took us out of the car, and they took our arms behind us, and they put handcuffs on us. Now, I need a volunteer to help me with something here. Is there, can I have a volunteer come forward? Now, I tried my hardest to order handcuffs. I didn't see sure come on up thank you I try my hardest to order handcuffs and I did order them from Amazon yeah you can just walk through there thank you and what's your name sir forgive Rich. me Rich yeah. Rich everybody give Rich a welcome Rich I'm Mike good to meet you now unfortunately I don't have handcuffs I ordered them Amazon said we'd have them there by Friday they weren't there Friday they said they'd be there Saturday. They weren't there Saturday. So lo and behold, I got the next best thing. You have the key, I hope. I guess what I don't have handcuffs. That, that's what I don't have. But do you know what these are? Oh yes. And I was told, I was told that last night by the gentleman that helped me. He said, actually, this is common, commonly used now, zip ties, for um, you know keeping people, keeping their their arms together. So I would ask you, Rich, if you would take that. No, you're going to take it, and you're going to put it on me. Okay? Yeah, just go, exactly. Go ahead. Go. Yep, that's good. Keep going. Okay. Now, has anybody here, just raise your hand again, if you've ever been handcuffed. Okay? Now, is it a pleasant feeling? No. And actually, my hands, when it happened, Rich, were behind me. My arms were behind me. And they put me in the police cruiser with my arms behind me, handcuffed. You know, that was about the most uncomfortable feeling I've ever felt. And uh, by the way, they didn't put a seatbelt on me either, I remember. But anyway, I was, I was, so I went, they took me down to um, downtown Monroe. Well, it's a nice green, to be honest with you, and there's a few buildings. But there's a police station there. And there's two jail cells. And my friend went in one and I went in the other. And they slammed the door. I was still in handcuffs. They slammed the door behind me. And I had one call to make. So who do you think I called? I called my dad. Mm -hmm. called my dad. It was probably, by that time, it was probably 1 o'clock in the morning. And he came down to the police department. And uh, he didn't say much to me, Rich. He didn't say too much. But he paid the price. He paid you know what the bail was? $250 Wow, to be released. Okay? So he paid the bail, and I was released. And Rich, I want you to go in there. You're going to find a little pocket knife. <clears throat> and I want you to take it, and you're going to do the bottom. Uh, yep. Just, you know, turn the blade I the other it. way. I got it. Okay. <laughs> I tried to sharpen it, but there we go. Oh, hallelujah. I'm free. I'm free. Hey, just a, just a good yeah. yeah, go ahead, Rich. Yeah. I had uh, experience with handcuffs. I was a principal of a school, and a little boy came up and said, Mr. B, in the morning, my father's a police officer in New Haven, and, he, and I have original handcuffs for him. I said, "I said, Alphonse, fantastic. He said, can I put them on you? I said, sure. So he, had, he put on himself, and he put them on, my, uh, on myself, and so forth. I said, oh, that's nice. Your father's detective in New, ha- uh, New Haven, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, you know. He says, I don't have the key. <laughs> so that little boy had to stay with me the whole day. <laughs> yeah. The father could not come until late in the afternoon. And so everywhere I went, my office, I sat him next to me. If I had go out into school, I did that too. So that's the little story. But you got to make sure you have the key, right, Rich? Amen. And we're going to talk about who has the key to set us free today. That's what we're going to talk about. Thank you for that story. Rich, everybody give Rich a hand. Thank you. But I was set free and I knew I had a more, a deeper appreciation of what freedom was when I was incarcerated, when I wasn't free. I was, I had to, my will wasn't my own. I was submitting to the will of another. And that was a scary thing. It was uncomfortable, it was scary. But when I was set free, oh, what a feeling to be set free. So I wanna talk today about freedom. And we even, do you know, we even sang about it, that first song. Did, did you remember what one of the verses was? Jesus rose with freedom in his hand. That's what one of the verses was. We didn't even plan it. But he rose. We're gonna talk about that. He had freedom, he won our freedom. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again. Amen. And he he had his he had our freedom in his hand when he rose. So Jesus started his ministry proclaiming freedom. Look with me in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. That's where we're going to start. Luke chapter 4. And just to give you a little background, Jesus returned. He's returning to his home area called Galilee and even to his hometown called Nazareth. And he had just come. Do you know where he had just come from? Does anybody know? He just come from the wilderness being tempted of the devil 40 days and 40 nights. And it says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Spirit, he returned. And verse 16 says this. So he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's where his hometown, that's, came right back to his, started his ministry in his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And this was a very... uh, in the culture, in the Hebrew culture, it was very common. They read, to, uh, they stood to read the, the scriptures, and they sat down to teach. So it says, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This was his custom. He did this. This was his regular practice, and he stood up to read. And verse 17 says this, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, And if you're taking notes, this is in Isaiah 61. It's the exact words in Isaiah 61. Verse 18 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That is the exact truth. Because when he came out of the wilderness, being tempted of the devil, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was led by the Spirit to start his ministry in Nazareth. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me To preach the gospel to the poor. And when that that word anoint means literally like a liquid, pouring out a liquid over him. Pouring it out. That's That's what anoint means. And it says to preach the gospel to the poor. The number one thing he came to do was to preach the gospel to the poor. How many of you know Jesus said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that because... He said, you are blessed if you recognize your poverty, your spiritual poverty. You're blessed. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's the second thing. To heal the brokenhearted. And how many of you remember the story of when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Amen? And whose broken hearts were healed at that time? Lazarus sisters, right? Mary and Martha. He healed the broken. That's just one example of many times where Jesus healed the brokenhearted. And then it says to proclaim liberty. Everybody say that with me liberty. liberty. Liberty, exact synonym for liberty is what? Freedom. To proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. And the word, that phrase there, proclaim liberty, when you look it up in the original, it actually is a reference to the Old Testament in Leviticus 25.10. And it's a technical expression referring to the release of Hebrew slaves and a property every 50 years in the year of Jubilee. And do you know that that phrase, proclaim liberty, in Leviticus 25.10, is written, inscribed on the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. Truth. He says to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And how many times did Jesus restore sight to the blind? Amen? Not just spiritual or not just physical, but it was both, physical and spiritual. If you remember of the Apostle Paul on the way to Damascus, and when he he met Jesus, he was blinded. And when he finally, he was blind, so when he went to Damascus, there was a man there named Ananias. And just to correct the record, last night I said his name was Simon. I have to correct myself. His name was Ananias. I looked it up this morning. It's found in Acts chapter 9. And when Ananias prayed for Paul, scales fell from his eyes and he, his, his sight was restored. And much the same way, when we come to faith in Christ, our eyes, our blindness is taken away and we can see clearly. So this is what Jesus came to do. This was, this was his uh, the start of his ministry. He came to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And verse 19 says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And what that means is exactly it means the day of salvation he came to proclaim the day of salvation and the year of my redeemed that's what, it's, that's what he came to do <clears throat> and then verse 20 it says then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and I know what that's like because I've been up here a few times And there's very few times when you're looking around and everybody's eyes are fixed on you. Sometimes, not everybody, how many of you know, are not paying attention. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes, their eyes are closed. (laughs) And every once in a while, I hear a, a snore, maybe a little bit. But that's okay. But this particular time, it says the eyes of all who were in that synagogue were listening to him were fixed on him. He had their absolute attention. In verse 21 it says this, And he began to say to them, Today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that was an unmistakable statement that he was clearly stating that he was the Messiah, the one who fulfilled this this prophecy from Isaiah. It's an unmistakable statement a claim that Jesus said, I am the one that this prophecy is talking about. That's exactly what he said. So he came, Jesus' mission, his whole ministry on earth started with a proclamation of freedom. Freedom. Look with me in, Luke, in John chapter 8, John's Gospel chapter 8. It says this. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Now he wasn't talking or speaking to the ones who didn't believe on him. He was talking to the ones who did believe in him. And then it says, if, everybody say that with me, if. If If is a conditional word, is it not? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples Indeed, if it's contingent upon an action. And so what does it mean? It's very important for us to understand. What does it mean to abide in his word? It means to remain, to continue, to perpetually obey his word. So there's a sequence here. We we put our faith in Jesus. We trust him. We believe that he is who he said he was. We trust him as our savior. And then we abide in his word. We remain faithful. We continue to obey him. And then it says, you are my disciples indeed. That's discipleship. That's how we become a disciple. Not just believing him, but conforming our life so that it's obedient to his word. And verse 32 says this. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth. So there is a very clear sequence. It's believing him. Abiding in him, becoming a disciple, and knowing truth. And then when we know the truth, the scripture says we will, he will, the truth will, will set us free. And, and how many of you know in John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? So he is the embodiment of truth, but it's also referring to his teaching, what he taught us. His word. And there's a sequence of being, becoming free. Believing in him, abiding, discipleship, knowing the truth, and then becoming free. And those that are saved and obey Jesus will know divine truth and freedom from sin. Verse 33 says this. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Now remember, not all the Jews that were listening to him believed on him. So some of these Jewish religious leaders said, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Now right there, that is a false statement. Because how many of you know the Jewish people were in bondage? Where, where did their bondage, what is a, for, uh, an example of where they were in bondage? Anybody? Egypt, perfect. Babylon is another one. So that statement right there is false. It says we have never been in bondage to anyone. We are Abraham's descendants. How can you say you will be made free? And how many of you know those that are in bondage are blinded by their pride? Pride blinds us to our need, amen? They were proud. They were relig- proud of their religion. They were proud to say, hey... We're Abraham's descendants. Hey, we go to that church. I mean, that's a really good church. I'm part of this family. This is my heritage. How can you say we're in bondage? How do you, how, what, what are we in bondage to? They were oblivious to their need to be set free. <clears throat> Verse 34, Jesus answered them most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin means to practice sin continually. And these religious leaders were currently living in bondage because of the sin of unbelief. They were in bondage. They didn't even know it. And they thought, listen, our heritage, look at our pedigree, look at our resume. Isn't that enough? Isn't that good enough? As far as our standing with God, don't we go to the right church? Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And that phrase, slave of sin, refers to being chained to a master, just like I was handcuffed. Whoever led me, I was was at at the mercy of their will chained to their master having no choice of their own and unable to set themselves free that's what it means to be a slave of sin verse 35 and a slave does not abide in the house forever because they're not part of the family there's no privilege that is owed them because they're not part of the family but a son abides forever a son meaning someone who is part of the family they are entitled to family privilege verse 36 therefore if the son capital son capital s that's jesus if the son makes you free you shall be free indeed and the hope for real freedom does not rest does not rest on our heritage but in the action of christ and what he did our freedom isn't dependent on what church we go to, what family we're a part of, what, what is on our resume or our pedigree, but only in the action of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only one that can set us free. Now that we, we the, it says the, you will know the truth and the true, truth shall set you free. Look with me in Galatians 5.13 and says this. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Yes, we've been called to freedom. Jesus has purchased our freedom. We can know freedom, we can know truth, and that will result in freedom. But it says, You, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity. For the flesh, and that means, opportunity means taking advantage of the situation. Don't use your opportunity to take advantage of it that you're free and think that you can do whatever you want or serve yourself. But it says, through love, serve one another. Everybody say that with me. Through love, serve one another. So we're not to use our freedom on ourselves, but we are to use it on others. Freedom isn't a license to sin. It is actually our responsibility to love. That's what our freedom is for. And if we are controlled by the Spirit of God, we will serve one another in love because that is the outcome of being controlled by the Spirit. How many of you know the fruit of the Spirit? Can you say them with me? What's the number one fruit? Love, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Very good. Good class. Good job. Give yourself a hand for that. That was excellent. Thank you. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love Serve one another. And this verse is so important. Ed, I know it's your birthday. Everybody say happy birthday to Ed back there. Happy birthday, happy birthday Ed. We sang, the, well, I didn't sing, thank God, but somebody sang to him this morning. The worship team sang to him. Ed, I need you and maybe a, another volunteer to help. There's a memory verse right there, right at, on the table. <clears throat> if you could, we're going to take a minute Because the last time I did this, most of the memory verse cards stayed on the back table. So I'm going to ask you, Ed, and my son Alex. Can you help, Alex? And Scott? And anyone else that wants to help out? Maybe one in each aisle. What I'm asking you to do is take this memory verse card, because we're going to... How many of you know it's important to memorize God's Word? Amen? Is it not important? to get it in our heart, to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God. So instead of just leaving them back there for everybody to take on their way out, I'm actually going to take a moment and make sure that everybody gets one and then we're going to read it together because that's how important this is. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty freedom Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh meaning don't use it on yourself don't do the things you want to do don't do it to please yourself but through love serve one another and love is the motivating force behind everything we do as a believer does everybody have the card we got to get the balcony too All set? Downstairs too? How about online? Did we pass them out online? (laughs) That would be cool if we could do that. (laughs) So let's read this verse together. Galatians 5.13 For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. And how many of you... Feel that you 're a servant, how many of you feel you're a servant? The job I have right now i 've been doing for thirty one years. okay I have had over a hundred people in thirty one years work for me over that time, and i 've interviewed a lot of um, candidates for positions and you know one of the things I ask is, how do you feel about service? How do you feel about customer service? And sometimes I get some odd responses. People think they're above service, right? Service seems to be so menial, so demeaning. But it says through love as believers, we serve one another. How many of you know that the best example of service was Jesus himself? Was he not? He was He was the epitome of serving one another. And I'm thinking that we, I'm going to, In the future, I'm thinking, we should actually do a whole Bible study on serving. What does that really mean, serving one another, using our gifts to serve one another? But it says, don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. 1 Peter 2 and verse 16 says this, for you are free. How many of you are glad you're free? Thank God. We are free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. God's slaves. When we give our heart to the Lord, when we surrender, we give our life to him. There, how many of you know there's a change that happens? There's a change that takes place. Through repentance, we, we get rid of, we turn away from our sin. And we turn to God and we offer him our lives out of gratitude. Amen? For the price that was paid for our salvation. And in that heart of gratitude, we surrender. We say, you are, Jesus is what? Lord. Everybody say that with me. Jesus is Lord. When you say, when you confess that Jesus is Lord, and it says that in Romans ten nine, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says, you will be saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord is more than just lip service. How many of you know that? We have to say, we surrender to you as Lord of my life. You are my authority. You are in control. I give you myself to do as you please. For you are free, yet you are, that's what it means to be God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Don't think, oh wow, we're free, hallelujah. Let's go and party to go and have a ball that's not what it means at all verse 17 says respect most people respect how many who? everyone Everyone? and I can hear Pastor Ron saying what does everyone mean? 100%. 100% that's right everyone is 100% respect everyone not just some people not just our family not just our family of believers, the person across the street who we may not agree with politically, the person, the other person at work who may be of a different persuasion. It's another way to say it, I think. We need to respect everyone, amen. Respect everyone. This is the fruit of being a follower of Christ. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Yes, I thank God we're a hugging. We're a hugging church, aren't we? We're a hugging church. That's a good thing. When I, when I first I started here, I came here, um, it was VBA 2003. It was 19 years ago. And I'll never forget, Pastor Ron, he gave me a big hug. And I wasn't really used to that, you know? So I'm like, you know, kind of stiff. But, you know, he, we're, a, we're a hugging church. We want people to feel welcome. We want to show and express love, concern, and care. Amen? love. Love. The family of believers, it says. And then it says, fear God and respect the king. Fear God. Does that mean to be afraid? It means to have reverence, ultimate respect, if you will. Fear God. Fear God because of how much he loves us, how much he gave for our salvation, to purchase our salvation. We are to fear God, and then it says, respect the king. And you can substitute for king. You can substitute president. Yes. Any authority. First Timothy 2 teaches us that we should pray, especially for those in authority. We should pray for the president. We should pray for our political leaders. Amen? Even if we don't agree with them politically. It doesn't qualify that. It doesn't respect the king only if he's part of your political party. It doesn't say that. It says, respect the king regardless of political party. And Jesus said in Mark 12, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. There's a second like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and the prophets hang or are fulfilled in these two commandments. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. To keep it simple. Look with me in Romans 6. It says this in verse 1. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now what does that refer to? What shall we say? It reverses to the last few verses in the previous chapter of Romans 5 where it says, in Romans 5.20 it says this, God's law was given... So that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. <clears throat> yes, the law came to show us that we're all sinners. No one can keep it. And Jesus, the, the freedom that he talks about is to set us free from that law that no one could keep. Because no one is perfect. No, one, All have sinned. The law was good, but it was our sin that made it weak because we couldn't obey it. It says, what shall we say? It says, says, since God's law was given to all people so all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. If sinning causes more abundant grace, let's just keep sinning, right? Well, it's great. More grace, more sin, more grace. And he says, verse 2, certainly not. Everybody say that with me. Certainly not. And and that isn't even as strong a language in the original. The the original language implies that there's a sense of outrage that anyone would ever think that statement was true. Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We who have died to sin, we who have repented, we have turned from our sin, and we now offer ourselves in service to God as God's slaves. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Verse 3 says this, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus... Baptized into his death. Now, how many have been water baptized? How many of you have been water baptized here at Faith Living Church? If you're new to Faith Living Church, you say, Well, Jay, I haven't seen it yet. Well, trust me, it's right here, right under my feet, right here. Just because of the pandemic, we got, you know, we got our schedule was a little messed up there, but we're going to go back to it pretty soon. It says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And water baptism, how many of you know it's an object lesson? It's an object lesson. When we go down under the water, we are acting out what has taken place in our lives. Going down is like being buried with Christ. The old man, the old nature, the sinful nature is buried with Christ. And then when we come up out of that water... We come up as a new creature that's identifying with Christ, what he went through. That resurrection, we identify with his resurrection coming out of the water. And how many of you know that we become new creatures in Christ, amen? Yes. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, amen? All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It says, do you not know that as many of you as, as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Death, verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And just like sin defined the old life, righteousness or right living defines the new life. It says we should walk in newness of life, and that means walking with resurrection power. Amen? The apostle said that I might know him, that's Jesus, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And all this is accessible to us as believers. How many of you know that? We have available to us resurrection power, that same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. And we have power to live this life victoriously in freedom from the law of sin and death because Jesus won that for us when he died on the cross and he went to hell and he took the keys from the devil and we sang about it and he rose with freedom in our hand in his hand, amen? And he he purchased freedom for us. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk ...in newness of life. And verse 5 says, "...for we have been united together in the likeness of his death." That's identification. We identify with Christ. By the old man, the old sinful nature dying and being becoming a new creature in Christ. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And just as we identify with Christ's death through baptism... ...we identify with his resurrection by walking in the Spirit with resurrection power. Amen? Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. I want to make sure you're all awake. This is good stuff, is it not? This is good stuff. Verse 6. Knowing this, knowing that our identification with Christ through baptism, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. It says that the old man, that our old man, the old sinful nature, was crucified with him. The Apostle Paul said it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let's read it together. Up Is it on the screen? Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ... It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. It says the just shall live by what? Everybody say it. Faith. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 7 says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Died. We have have died to the old way. We have died to the old sinful nature. The old sinful man, the old person that was in us has died. And we've been freed from sin no longer under sin's power. Skipping over to, to verse 18. Same chapter, Romans 6. It says this, And having been set free from sin... You become slaves of righteousness. Having been set free from sin's power, you become slaves of righteousness, servants of right living, conforming our will to God's will, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. How many of you know it's God it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a person. And if we are believers in Christ, if we have given our lives to the Lord, If we have been born again, that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, not out of duty, but out of love. We're not slaves of righteousness out of duty because we've been filled with the Spirit and the number one fruit of the Spirit is love. Having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19 says this, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, Yes, this is, I understand this is a hard thing to understand, so I'm using the slave-servant analogy so you can understand that. It says, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, and how many of you know sin often is contagious. It's habitual, is it not? Sin, you commit sin, it's easy to commit the next sin, and you become less convicted. It says, for just as you present your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Present your members, your body, your abilities, all the things God has given you. And it says this in in Romans 12.1, it says, I beseech you, I plead with you, brethren, By the mercies of God, in light of God's mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I plead with you, by the mercy, in light of God's mercy, getting what we don't... No, it's not that. That's grace, getting what we don't deserve, but not getting what we do deserve. That's mercy, right? In light of not getting what we do deserve, in light of God's mercy... I plead with you, present your bodies as living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Offering to God all of our abilities for his service. And it says, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And holiness is sanctification. And sanctification is simply being set apart for God's service. Being set apart, the... the. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary says it this way. It means to set the person or individual apart for the use intended by the designer. That's what sanctification is. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are his workmanship. Everybody say workmanship. workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and there's another in a lot of other versions you know that word for workmanship is same word it is masterpiece so i want you to point to your neighbor and say you are god's masterpiece you are god's masterpiece you are god's ma- you are god's workmanship sounds a little rough right but masterpiece we want to be masterpieces don't we masterpiece sounds good you are god's masterpiece Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are created, <clears throat> this is the purpose, this is the sanctification, setting you apart to do God's will, to, to do God's service. You are, and, and it says, this is the reason God has uh, created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, it, it's nothing of our own. These are things, remember, God is omnipotent. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows. He's omniscient. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows, you know, it's like God looks down at a, at a parade. He can see the beginning of the parade, the end of the parade. He sees, and that's our life. He sees the whole thing. And these are, these are things that God has prepared, that He has prepared. We can't take any credit for it. We can't take credit for these good works that, he is, that God has prepared that we should walk in them. <clears throat> Going back to Romans 6 in verse 20, it says this. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin. When I was 17, you were free in regard to righteousness. There was no obligation on your part. We were under the control of sin with no ability to free ourselves. There was no obligation to, to live righteously. Oh, we might have gone to church once in a while. As soon as we left church, at least this is my testimony. I just lived any way I wanted. I went to church. That was my, you know, religious thing. But then I just lived any way I wanted. When you were slaves of sin, there was no conviction. You were free in regard to righteousness, free from the restraints of righteousness, no obligation to live righteously. Or, <clears throat> verse 21. And what fruit did you have then in the things of which you were now ashamed? What fruit what were the results of that living? Look with me in Galatians 5, 19, it says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And what's the fruit of that? What is the result of that life? Death, death yes. But be- even before physical death, Pain. Heartache, emptiness, shame, regret. Have you ever regretted that you did something? Regretted that you didn't do something? It's a terrible feeling. That was the the fruit or the results. For the end of those things is death. Amen. It is. The wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. That's what the Bible says. We've all sinned. None is righteous, not even one. The wages of that sin is death, both physical and spiritual. And after that physical death, there's no second chance. There's no second chance. Verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. How many of you can can shout hallelujah because we have been set free by the blood of Jesus? Amen. We've been set free. That's right. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. We've been set free. Now that you've set free, you have been set free from sin. We've been set free from the bondage to sin. Sin was habitual. We couldn't free ourselves. Only Jesus could set us free. And having been set free from the requirements to try and keep the law, because no one could keep the whole law. It was the law came, the purpose of the law was just to show us our sinful need, our need for salvation. Having been set free <clears throat> from sin and having become slaves of God out of, and we are compelled by love, we are motivated by love of, of God and love of our love of our neighbor. You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. The process of sanctification leads to everlasting life. Amen? We are obliged to obey, not out of duty, but out of love for the one who has saved us, the one who has set us free. 1 Corinthians 6 says this in verse 19, it says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Do you not know this? I'd like to remind you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your, te- your body is a temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. You are not your own. Look what it says in verse 20. For you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. How many of you know what the price was that we were bought with? Jesus died. And what can cleanse us from all sin? His what? The blood of Jesus Christ. We were on the auction block. And the only one that could successfully be the successful bidder was Jesus. Because he was the only one. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ. The pure, spotless blood of Christ that can free us. That can forgive us of all of our sin. That can set us free. It's only the blood of Jesus. God's son cleanses us from all sin. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you. So if you think that, you know, this freedom is for living on your, living your own way, doing your own thing, or doing evil, you've not been, you have not been, you have not experienced Jesus Christ in your life. If you think your freedom is to live for yourself, you have not experienced salvation. I make no apology for saying that. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Verse 20, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. You were bought at a price. God the Father loved us so much he gave his only Son. Amen? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God. And you know what it means to glorify God? It means to make him more famous. Make him more famous. Live in such a way that people see you. Let your good works shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Live in such a way that it would be unmistakable for your neighbor, your family, your friends, your your enemies to see Christ in you. Amen? This is how we glorify God. Our body is not our own. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are bought with a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this is what and I'm just getting started. I'll tell you right now, I'm just getting started. I know it's time, it's, it's time to end today, but this is good stuff to talk about, isn't it? All of this has been done for us as believers. Jesus paid the price. He rose with freedom in his hand. Our freedom from the law. Freedom from sin. And the penalty of sin. He came to proclaim freedom. He said the truth. The truth will make you free. And it's up to us to receive that. To trust it and to live out what God asks us to do, what God wants us to do. Live out our obedience to Christ every day. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sharing it. I thank you for these truths, Lord, that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die on that cross to pay the price for our salvation for our freedom so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin I thank you Lord that you said the truth will make us free but there's a process we believe we abide we become disciples we know the truth and then we become free So, Lord, I I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. I pray for those that are online and might be watching those downstairs or in the balcony. And I would ask you, even now as your heads are bowed, just if you have a need, if you have a need in your life where you need Jesus to set you free. While our heads are bowed, I'm asking everybody, if if there's someone here that has a need like that, raise your hand. Just raise your hand, and I want to pray for you, Lord. You see those hands that are raised, Father, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would minister healing. You came to heal the brokenhearted, Lord. You came to proclaim liberty to the captives, Father. I pray that you would bring liberty, freedom in the lives of those whose hands are raised right now, and even if they know someone that needs to hear this truth, Father, I pray. That whoever it is within the sound of my voice hearing this, that they would be set free. They would experience this freedom, this joy that comes from being free. So I ask you to minister in Jesus' name to every need. And as our heads are bowed, I want to also pray for those who may have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you don't have that kind of assurance. Maybe you've never, you haven't, you have not repented yet of the old sinful life. I'm I'm giving you an opportunity. The gospel, when the gospel is presented, we're presented with a decision. Jesus gave his life for you. I'm asking for you to give his life to him. Give your life to him. So as our heads are bowed, I want everybody to, and those of you that have already received Christ, we're going to pray together to reaffirm our faith. But let's pray together. Heavenly Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin. He shed his blood as the price, the only price that could pay for my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and he is offering life, abundant life. I open my heart. And I receive that gift. I ask you to help me to live for you and to proclaim freedom every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.